So, uh, I, I want to kind of do a, a quick recap. We've studied uh, the first four chapters of this first letter, 1 Corinthians, and so far uh, in this first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul has pointed out several challenges uh, that the church has faced. Uh, one of those challenges was divisions, right? They faced a challenge of divisions. They had some who followed Paul and some who followed Apollos and some who followed Cephas, uh, some who followed Christ, but they were divided uh, in who they followed and how they treated each other and how they responded to each other. Uh, they also had a dependence problem. And what I mean by that is, is they depended upon themselves. They depended upon their own strengths and their own knowledge and their own experience rather than depending upon the Lord. Uh, Paul pointed that out. Uh, they also faced a challenge of worldliness. Uh, Paul said, you look more like the world than you do the church of God, and that's a problem. Uh, he, he said, you shouldn't be looking like the world even though you live in the world. Uh, you, you shouldn't look like the world. You shouldn't do the things that the world does. You should look like Jesus Christ. You should act like Jesus Christ. And so they, they faced a challenge of worldliness. And then last week we talked about the challenge of position. And, and Paul was very specific in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He was really talking to the leaders of the church. Uh, he, he said, your position, right, the attitude of your heart, uh, you're not better than, um, you know, you're not better than someone because you have this position. Uh, as a matter of fact, you are called to be a humble servant. And, and Paul reminded them that, that, that you are a servant of Jesus Christ. And so lots of challenges that we've seen. And what we see in all of these challenges is that it's an internal problem, right? A lot of times when we think of challenges, it's out there, it's external. But a lot of what was going on was happening in the church. Uh, yes, there were challenges outside of the church, but a lot of these were what I would call self-inflicted challenges. And tonight, it's really going to be no different. Uh, tonight, um, we're going to see another challenge. And really, all of these challenges, the underlying condition is pride. Paul has made that very clear. Every challenge so far that the church has faced it stems from pride. Now, I'm going to, I put this on your handout, I believe, and if I didn't, it'll be on the screen. But Pastor Matt Caps, I love this quote. I love when he said this. I wrote it down. Matter of fact, it's, it's on my desk. It's one of the first things I look at uh, every morning when I sit down at my desk. I see this quote, and it's just a reminder of me uh, to repent of any pride I have and to put it to death. Listen to what Pastor Matt Caps says. He says, pride is the sin beneath every other sin because at its core, it is self-worship. The first step of fighting pride is to realize that you are proud. That's incredible. And so as we look at this letter tonight, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it shows us that another challenge the church faced was immorality. That's the challenge we're going to look at tonight, immorality. Um, now I'm going to ask you a question. Other than Jesus Christ, is there anyone who is perfect? Nope. Is there anyone uh, who is free from sinfulness? Nope. All right, so I'm going to say what Jesus said. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> so I just want to remind you that this is not about condemning anyone we want to at any time we want to. This is about using spiritual discernment and holding brothers and sisters in Christ accountable accountable to God and accountable to one another. That's what this is about. This is not about condemnation. And so I want to make sure, because I'm going to tell you, when you read 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul uses some fierce language. (laughs) He uses, I mean, he is very directed in what he says and how he says it. And so um, it's brash, but it is bold and it is truthful. Um, This is about a, a man leading the church to strive for holiness, to strive for godliness. Um, the church body has to understand who they are in Christ and their responsibility in the world in which they live. And so we're going to start with the first five verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to tell you, these first five verses set the tone for the whole chapter. So get ready. Verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Verse 2, and you are proud. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. So someone in the church is committing sin, and Paul says in verse 2, you're proud of it. He says, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? And have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, that, that's a strong five verses right there. And when you read it, it's like, wait, what did Paul just say? Like, how does he want to handle this man? How does he want to handle uh, this sin in the church? Uh, listen, Paul called out the sexual sin. That's what he did. Paul called out the sexual sin of this man, but that's not all he called out, is it? He also called out the pride of the church. So see, there's really two challenges here. There's the challenge of sexual immorality, but there's also the challenge of pride. And both of them are in the church. Uh, Paul received this information, and it was disturbing to him. Uh, Not only was the man sleeping with his stepmother, but the church was tolerating it. The church knew what was going on. Um, And based on the language and the circumstances, uh, this was a man professing to be a Christian, professing to be a Christian, a member of the church. Um, The stepmother was probably not a member of the church. As I look at this and I study this and I listen to other theologians, uh, if you notice, Paul is focused on the man. And most theologians will tell you the reason he's focused on the man is because the man is a member of the church. The stepmother most likely is not a member of the church, most likely is an unbeliever, but the man that Paul is focused on in this letter is a professing Christian who is a church member. So guess who Paul is focused on? He's focused on the church member who professes Christ but lives in sexual immorality. And so we got to understand why this language is so fierce. He's not attacking an unbeliever. He's not even attacking a believer. He's attacking the sinfulness of a believer. And that's make, that makes all the difference in the way that we read this letter. Um, the church, rather than mourning and dealing with the man's sin, is tolerating it. 
And Paul says, as, as you tolerate it and you just allow it to happen, then what you're doing is you're condoning it. And if you're condoning it, then, then you're proud of it. And if you're proud of it, then you're living in pride. And that's what he says. Paul states, this man is sleeping with his father's wife. You know what that means? That means it's a present sin. And then he says, he has been doing this. So it's an ongoing thing. So we learn something very truthful here. This is a man who professes Christ, who's a member of the church, but it's also a man who is unrepentant. Do you see that? And Paul is calling out the church, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And the church was fully aware. As we can see, they were fully aware. So Paul called on the church to confront the man and deal with his sinful condition. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to confront this man and deal with his sin. Um, this sinful relationship was not only against the law of the church. Now, we already know you can go back in Deuteronomy. You can go back in Leviticus. We can look at it. Uh, this is incest and this is adultery. So it is definitely against the law. It is sinful, okay? But Paul says it's not just against the law of the church. He said the pagans don't even tolerate this. You know what he's talking about? This was a Gentile nation. This was a Gentile land. And he said even the pagans don't tolerate this kind of sinfulness. They don't tolerate it. And Paul is is saying, but you do. You're proud of this. So Paul said, uh, how could you do this? I I know his words may have seemed harsh, but but it comes from a loving father. Remember who Paul is with the the Corinthian church. He is a loving father. He is dealing with this church as if they were his children, uh, spiritual children, if you will. And so Paul is concerned for the church. He's concerned for the testimony of the church in the community. I want to take you, I didn't put this on your handout, but you might want to write it down. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, listen to what Jesus says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now that's a passage of scripture um, that is taken out of context many, many times. That's a passage of scripture that is twisted and turned to fit agendas all the time. But I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says about Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, from a Christian, from a, a, a believer standpoint. Listen to what he says. He says, with the command to not judge, Jesus is not forbidding spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment should still be used. Instead, he condemns the kind of judgment that comes from a hypocritical and unkind spirit. So when Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged, he's talking about the way we judge people and why we judge people. That's what he's saying. And and so when you look at this, you can say, well, isn't Paul being judgmental? Uh, He's using spiritual discernment. And it comes from a heart of love and it comes from a heart founded in Jesus Christ. And we see that very clearly. Paul points out very clearly that we need to be in Christ, that Christ needs to be in us as we deal with each other. And so he condemns uh, the kind of judgment that comes from a hypocritical and unkind spirit. Paul, in the way that he is speaking to the church at Corinth right now, he is not hypocritical. And this is not an unkind spirit. Uh, Paul calls for the judgment of sin and for the church to put this man out of fellowship. Why? 
because he is unrepentant. He is continuing in his sin, and he says we got to call him out for this. As a matter of fact, this phrase shook me when I read it, and I read it more than once, and it kept on shaking me. Paul calls for the church to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. How many of you find that as a very positive statement? Anybody else? Okay, I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one. I read that and I was like, how could, like I tried to, I tried to understand first of all with just my little frail human mind, like how could a godly man say, hand this man over to Satan for the flesh? Well, I had to do some research. I had to do some praying. I had to allow the Holy Spirit to help me. And again, I had to go to the context and the heart of Paul for this. Again, it sounds like Paul is sending this man out to uh, eternal damnation. However, this phrase was used, and, and the purpose of this phrase was for the destruction of this man's sinful nature. He was not calling for the destruction of this man's spirit. He was calling for the destruction of this man's what? Flesh, which means his fleshly nature. That's what he was calling for. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. There is definitely a correlation to that passage of scripture in this one. The purpose is the same thing, and, and that's that's the thing about it. What what Paul is calling for here. Let me let me let me step back. Not just what Paul is calling for, but from where Paul is calling, right? This is an act of love. This is not like, we're done with that guy, kick him out, and he's done. That's not what this is. This is an act of love by Paul saying, okay, he is unrepentant. We can't call him, we can't call him to repentance. Only the Spirit can do that. So let's turn him over to Satan. And let's allow that fleshly desire to be burned out and let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. And, and that's basically what Paul's saying. I mean, he, he is doing this out of love, uh, wanting the man to be driven to repentance and ultimately redemption. But here's the thing. Paul can't save him. And the church can't save him. Only the Holy Spirit of God can stir him and save him. And, and so Paul is saying, hey, listen, uh, we can't allow that to happen in the church. And if we can't change him, only God can, let's put him out there to where that's his only, that's his only hope now, right? That's his only chance. That's it. That's, exa- that's it. That's it. 
That's exactly right. And that's, that, you're exactly right. And that's, I, I agree, there's a correlation there of, hey, we got to let this play out. We've got to let this play out. But we can't let it play out in this church. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Matter of fact, um, now that we know the sin, right, now that we know the immorality, and now we know that Paul has said, hey, we've got to confront this. We've got to handle this situation. We've got to deal with it. Now Paul turns to, okay, church, let me talk to you for a second. <laughs> so watch this, verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, right off the bat, your boasting is not good. Now he's already dealt with the church one time, right, about boasting. He said, hey, you boast about your gifts and you boast about all the stuff you got and all the stuff you're doing. He said, but let us boast in Christ, right? That's what Paul has said already. And so look at verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I love this because Paul is now speaking uh, to them about something that they would know. Uh, he, he's, he's reaching back, obviously, into Old Testament. What Paul is pointing to here is the Passover. He's pointing to the Passover, but he's doing so with the goal of purging their sinfulness. I love this. Again, we know Paul's heart. We know how much he loved the church and how much he valued the church and their testimony to the world. And so Paul wanted to protect them from corruption, uh, both inside and outside the walls. But once again, he calls them out because... You're boasting in sinfulness, and, and you should not be doing that. It's not good. And so in pointing to the Passover, what is Paul doing? He's reminding them of the blood of the Passover lamb. When he calls them to the Passover, he's pointing them to the blood of the lamb. They were delivered from death by applying the blood on their door frames. I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. I put this quote on, on your handout. You're going to have to fill in a couple of blanks here, so, so pay attention and follow along. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says this, Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed His blood to deliver us from sin. Leaven is the picture of sin. Leaven is the picture of sin. It is small but powerful. It puffs up the dough. Do you see the language that Paul is using, right? What is he dealing with in the church more than anything? Pride. Guess what pride is? Puffed up. And, and so I love this because what Paul is doing is he's using words, but he's also using imagery. They can see what he's talking about. Pride, it is small but powerful. It puffs up the dough and it spreads. Just a little bit, right? Just a little bit contaminates what? The whole batch, just a little bit, contaminates the whole batch. Paul is trying to get them to see, if you don't deal with this sin of this one man who professes Christ and is a member of your church, the entire church will suffer. Just a little bit, just a little bit, it spreads. 
So what did Paul do? Paul reminded the church that they are. I love that. He says, you are the unleavened bread. He reminded them, you are the unleavened bread. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, what's he doing here? He's saying, you have done nothing. You have done nothing to deserve this. You have done nothing to earn this. But here's who you are. You are the unleavened bread in this world. And it's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to get them to understand who they are. Who they are in Christ. And how they should respond. Both to one another and in the world in which they live. This this is so important. Uh, They are to purge themselves. Which means to rid themselves of the sin that spreads and contaminates. They are to keep the festival. Paul says keep the festival. You know what that means? That means remember the Passover. Remember the Passover lamb. Who's the Passover lamb? Jesus Christ. I know for Moses and the Israelites, yes, it was a physical lamb, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ is the perfect lamb, and his blood is what makes it possible for us to be forgiven and free from the penalty and bondage of sin. So Paul says, keep the festival. That means remember Jesus Christ. Remember your Passover lamb. Honor him. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way, and I didn't put this on your handout, but listen to, to Dr. Tony Evans. He said, sin, the old way of life, must be left behind so that the church can live as the new people, unleavened in Christ and not as the old people we once were. I love that. We must live as the unleavened bread in this world. Not the leavened bread. We must live as the unleavened bread. That means we've purged and we rid ourselves of the sin that so easily contaminates. Paul's not done. (laughs) He's not done. Look at verse 9. We're getting close to being done. (laughs) This is a tough chapter, but but let's keep going. Verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter. And again, this is going to say, if you were reading this and you were not in the spirit, this is going to sound very harsh. But hang with me. We're in the spirit. We're going to get through this. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or, and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And then he says this, expel the wicked person from among you. So we find out something very interesting here. Um, theologians tell us, and, and, and I agree with them based on Paul's language because he says it here in 1 Corinthians. He'll also say it again in 2 Corinthians. But theologians tell us that Paul had written another letter. That there was a previous letter. What we have in front of us is 1 Corinthians. There was actually a letter before this one. Paul had wrote them a letter before. He tells us that uh, in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter. He's not talking about this letter He's talking about the previous letter. But theologians tell us that there indeed was a letter and it was either lost or it was destroyed before it arrived at the church in Corinth. And so Paul is reminding them of what he said in that letter. 
And here it is. Paul called the church to disassociate, disassociate with unrepentant sinners in the church. Please keep that in context. Okay? He didn't just say disassociate with sinners. He said disassociate with unrepentant sinners in the church claiming to be in Christ. Now, again, I know that this is a lot to take in. Uh, It's a lot to think about. But this was not, this was not a call to disassociate from all sinful people in the world. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if you're going to do that, then you may as well leave. (laughs) You you may as well say bye and just get out of this world because it's it's not going to happen. Paul said, that's not what I'm doing. Paul wasn't talking about discipline on unbelievers in the world. He was talking about discipline upon unrepentant sinners in the church. And that's a big difference, those claiming to be Christ followers. He was calling for them to separate, right? To separate from intimate fellowship with such persons, wanting them to die to their fleshly passions and desires. That's what he wanted. He said, hey, listen, the best thing we can do for ourselves and for this unrepentant sinner in the church is to separate from them. They need to hear from the Spirit. They don't need to hear from us. They need to hear from the Spirit. And so we're going to separate from them. First of all, we can't contaminate ourselves with this. We we can't be so prideful and puffed up that it's, oh, it's all right, la, la, just be tolerant of it because it's not the right thing to do. Paul says, here's the right thing to do. You separate from those who are unrepentant. Again, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, Paul was very clear. This man was in in sexual immorality. It was a present tense. He is sleeping with his father's wife. There's two things in that passage from the language. That is, his father is still alive. The way it's worded, his father is still alive. And it's his stepmother. Okay? So we have incest and adultery going on at the same time. And so Paul's very clear, right? The way you handle this is you confront the man with his sinfulness... You confront him in Christ. Don't forget that. You go back and look at the first five verses. In Christ, in the spirit, right? That means you're not coming with a hypocritical or unkind spirit. You're coming with the spirit of God, which is always a redemptive spirit, right? I hope that helps a little bit. <laughs> so, so Paul says we've got to separate. We've got to separate from these kinds of people in the church. Uh, we, we've got to put them out. Why? so that their fleshly desires can be put to death. Because at that time, the Spirit will turn them to repentance. And when they repent, what does the church do? Which he doesn't say in this chapter, but we'll get to that later. What do you think the church does when they repent, when they come with a truly repentant heart? Say that again. They accept them back into the family. Absolutely. And we'll see that as we move along. But that's the goal. Paul pointed, I love this. He made it very clear. Paul pointed to the future judgment of God the future judgment of God upon the unbelievers. Paul said, who am I to judge unbelievers out there in the world? I I, I ain't got nothing to do with that. That's God. He said, but as a leader in the church, I got to call out sin. And and I've got to be a part of discipline. That's what Paul says. He's not claiming to be God, but he's claiming to have the authority of God to call sin, sin. And to handle sin in the church because he is a leader in the church. And, And so... Paul pointed to the future judgment of God upon the unbelievers, but to present discipline, right? Present 
Like right here, right now. Present discipline by the church upon its members. Uh, once again, uh, I love Dr. Warren Wearsby. Uh, he, he's another one of my favorite uh, pastors. And uh, I read a lot of his sermons and a lot of his commentaries. I love what he talks about when he talks about church discipline. Um, listen to what he says. He says, church discipline is not easy. It is not popular. And it is not seen much today. But it is vitally important. If it is done properly, God can and will use it to convict and restore erring believers. I love that. Dr. Wearsby, he said, it's not easy, it's not popular, and it's not done much today. But it is vitally important. Because if it is done properly, God can and will use it to do what? Convict, right? Which is, guess whose job it is to convict? The spirits. It's not your job nor my job to convict somebody of their sin. What can we do? We can call it out. We can call it out. We can call sin what it is based on the Word of God. But it's not our job to convict. That's the spirits and only the spirits' job. But if we handle it properly, like Dr. Wearsby says, the spirit will convict and the spirit will restore erring believers to the body. I love this, again, difficult passage of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you, a difficult passage to preach and try to teach. Because <laughs> I don't know it all. I don't claim to know it all. I do the best I can. And, um, you know, there's a lot in here that maybe I have not covered deeply. Um, but I tried to give it to you in context and as a whole. Um, I summed it up with one statement, and that is the goal of the church. You ready? The goal of the church when handling immorality in the life of a wayward child of God should be restoration through humble repentance, which leads to what? Unity in the body. When you read the letters in whole, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's no doubt in my mind, right, that Paul's goal for the church was unity in the body. Unity in the body. He wanted them to be unified in Christ. He wanted them to see Christ, to stay focused on Christ, and to live Christ out loud in the world. And he wanted them to do that together, right? He didn't want divisions. He didn't want them depending on this man or that man or themselves. He wanted them depending on God. Uh, he didn't want them uh, taking these highly positions and lording themselves over anyone. He wanted leaders to understand, hey, yes, you have been given a great responsibility, but it's servant leadership. Right? It's servant leadership. And remember, it's not your church, it's his church. And, and now Paul says, hey, listen, um, we got to deal with immorality in the church. And, and he's very specific in chapter 5. He's very specific. It's one man, one man that he points out. Um, most theologians would tell you he could have very easily probably been talking about more than one. But he was focused on one because that's the report that came back to him. And so immorality was probably a bigger problem than one man, but Paul made it very clear this one man and this one sin that you are tolerating, that you are proud of, right? You're, you're proud that he's living this way and that he's among you. Paul said you should be in mourning. Like this should be breaking your heart that he is in this sin and you as a church, if, if you don't call him out, who will? That's really what Paul is saying. If you don't call out this sinfulness, who will? Is the world going to call it out? 
<laughs> we know better, don't we? Yeah, we ought to know better. So, again, I, I love this passage of Scripture. Uh, it's a passage that can very easily be taken out of context. Uh, I, I warn you, um, you know, again, be careful with those words, judgment, right? And Because I do believe as Christ followers, we are called out, right? Called out to judge sin, to say this is what sin is. Judge the sin, right? But understand only God, right? Only God can judge the sinner. And Paul says, let's, let's let God deal with him. And the best way to let God deal with him is put him out there. Put him out there and let that flesh be put to death so that he must, be, he, he'll have to confront it, right? The spirit was stirring to repentance. But, but like we said, right, uh, we have that free will. We have the free will to repent or not repent. But as a church, we've we got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful um, because just a little bit of yeast, what does it do? Puffs up the whole dough, right? Spreads. Ruins the And so we've got to be very careful and we've got to understand who we are in Christ and understand our calling and uh, stand up in that calling.